What if you could build a seven-figure business without the belief that it has to be hard? That's exactly what our guest on today's episode did. Emily Wilcox shares with us how she had the courage to follow her soul's guidance into coaching and allowing it to be easy. You're in for a treat. Enjoy. Welcome to the Courage to Be podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Vasayo. And each week, I will bring you amazing guests so that you can tap into the courage to break out of all patterns and live your soul's purpose. Before we get into this episode, if by the end you enjoyed it, please follow, rate, review, and share the podcast so we can reach more people. Because here's the thing, I'm on a mission to close the gender gap in the podcasting world so that more and more women's voices are heard. If you feel that this is something you value too, then please take action by rating, reviewing, following, and sharing the podcast. We can only do this together. Check out the link in the show notes to see how this is done. And make sure to stay until the end to claim some free gifts I have for you. Welcome back to The Courage to Be, where we have powerful conversations to transform your life and business. Today, we have Emily Wilcox with us. Hi, Emily. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited too, talking about women, money, empowerment, business. I'm excited to hear all about your journey. So tell us a little bit about your story and what you do, how you landed there. Just share with us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, well, I've always been interested in the spiritual path, like, you know, since I was a teenager, but then followed a pretty traditional career path. So I was in corporate America for many years, thought that that would always be the case until I had my daughter eight years ago and was on maternity leave and just thought that I would go back to work and be a working mom. And yeah, that was a much more difficult re-entry than I expected. And I was in sales. So I would be like driving around all over Los Angeles with breast pumps attached to both boobs. And I'm paying someone else over a thousand dollars a month to be with my baby. And I was like, what am I doing here? This is, this is craziness. And so that was really the first spark of entrepreneurship. My husband, who's always been very entrepreneurial, had convinced me that we should start a little side hustle baby clothing company while I was on maternity leave. So go back to work, you know, six-figure salary, company car, 401k, bonuses, all the things which were very important and necessary to our family. And on the side, we're starting to sell like baby onesies on Amazon And I start thinking, hmm, I wonder if we could grow that into something. And eventually, it's probably going to take a few years. Like I was realistic. I'm like, but maybe before we have a second kiddo, then I can do it really differently the second time around. And so for three years, I balanced being a corporate salesperson, a really plugged in mom and growing this e-commerce brand. And three years later, went out on maternity leave with my son. We started an Amazon agency at that same time too, because although our Amazon business was now doing like 600,000 a year or something like that, for those who understand product-based businesses, you know, not all of that was flowing into our personal bank account, right? Like we're reinvesting in inventory, we're paying for ads and doing all of this. And so we really needed something to supplement And I was so clear that I was not going to go back to 
corporate America. So two babies, two businesses, and that was kind of my start into entrepreneurship. And of course, there's a whole story of how I got from that to being a money healer and business mentor, but those were my roots. And that that's what got me started on this wild journey. Wow. I love it. We'll go in phases. We'll go into the money yeah. business healer. Talk to me a little bit about maternity leave and pumping while driving and sales that stood out to me for me being from another country, you know, from Spain, this is such an important subject because we do give a lot more maternity leave to yeah. women, to moms, new moms and new parents and parent dad leave. What are you calling maternity yeah. leave, parental, you know, leave because there's a lot of other women that might be out there listening to you. As a matter of fact, I just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago for another podcast episode with a younger woman, you know, millennial that's, she has to choose. She's like, I have this awesome corporate job, but I also want to fulfill my dream of becoming a mom. What do you say to the women that are out there that are kind of torn, like where you're at, you know, of like, oh, do I stay with the security and suck it up and keep on pumping? Or in her case, it was like, she was following the fertility journey, you know, like mm -hmm. there's so much stress from the job and she can't get in, but it's interesting that this conversation is showing up again, you know, and yeah. so that's why I wanted to make a little bit of a nuance and that, you know, a point into that before we move on in conversation. Yeah. My best advice is like, actually let your children completely rearrange your life. Like let your it. desire to be a mom shift everything because it will, and you're not going to be able to predict all of the ways that it's going to shift, but energetically, the fact that our bodies create life and birth the same is true with new ideas and new ways of being. And, and I really do believe that childbirth opens up such a portal where we are so connected to the divine and that channel of new ideas and new things that get to be birthed into being that it's not just your physical baby, but it's also potentially this whole new way of being and feeling and your life can sort of be structured differently around that. One piece of my story that I left out in that abridged version is that not only did we start a business while I was on maternity leave, but my husband quit his job because they wanted him to like go back to work right away and like drop everything for some unexpected meeting or whatever. And he was just like, this is nuts. Like what's important is right in front of us and it's the family. And so for both of us, it just was this tremendous shift. And we just kind of surrendered to the fact that life was not going to look the way that we had this thought it was going to. And that's kind of the point. That's awesome. I'm so thankful that you're sharing these stories and the fact that he quit his job too, you know, because of the expectations. I think there needs to be a paradigm shift and just incorporate America if they want to retain employees. Because what I keep bumping into is all these 
women starting their home businesses because they're not able to accommodate and be flexible. Right. Would you have stayed at your job if things would have been like, if they would have adapted more for you, like flexibility, you know, or no. something like that? I actually no? had a ton of flexibility. Like I probably got it down to where I was working. I don't know, like a 25 hour week. Maybe mm -hmm. I was doing like five days of work and four days. So I wasn't leaving the house on Fridays. Like I had a lot of flexibility over my schedule and I was still performing really well. Like I actually had to work on it. I felt a little guilty because I was like winning all of these awards. <laughs> and at the same time, it was like, I, I had never cared less you know, about what I was doing. I was, I'd never been like more checked out, but no, for me, it really, what came through was I don't want to be a stay at home mom, but I'm being underutilized at this company. And, and it really was the seeds of entrepreneurship. So I'm grateful for that. That is awesome. I'm glad that you had that clarity too, within that, you know, because I think for many women, coming to that kind of point, you know, like corporate, and now I've become a mom, you're at this place of choice, or even like for your husband, you know, like, were there any fears there when everything shifted and you guys made those decisions, you know, suddenly you're going from two salaries yeah. and talk, talk to us a little bit about those fears. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, at that time I was still very much in like the wounded masculine energy, which mm -hmm. for anyone listening that doesn't know it's the overdoing and the overthinking and being in control and like taking on all of the pressure and all of the responsibility. Now that wasn't because of having a child, like that just was me. And that was like my trauma response or like my coping mechanisms. And I think for many like high achieving women, you know, we're very conditioned that way by society. And so there's like an unlearning that has to happen. And so, yeah, like when he quit and he wasn't like quitting to be a stay at home dad, like he had this other entrepreneurial thing going but all of us who are business owners know it's really different getting a paycheck every two weeks versus going out on your own where like, who knows how much is going to come and when it's going to come. And, and so I really felt like, okay, well, like the fate of our family is on my shoulders, you know, like I have to be the stable one. I have to make sure that like, there's safety and security and that we have a roof over our head and all of these things, but I probably would have been that way anyway. Like even when he was employed, like, I think I still took on a lot of that. And so it really was mine to heal and entrepreneurship actually ended up sort of like being the vehicle for helping me to really explore a lot of that inner work. Yeah, let's go a little bit more in depth with that because I do feel that a lot of women high achievers, we're still operating with like what you're saying, the conditioning that's been passed down to us, which is very patriarchal. It's very masculine, yeah. you know, energy because the systems were set up for men, you know, like it's just the way it's been, right? How do we start shifting or what was part of that internal work for you of a finding and becoming, you know, that coming to that realization, like, Ooh, I'm working from this masculine energy that like, did you wake up one day with that? Or you're like, 
did it take a while just from observing and what did you start doing to shift that? Yeah. So I went to an in-person like South Bay women's and business conference and I chose a breakout session on manifestation or something like that. And although I was already familiar to some degree with manifestation, I had been a meditator for a lot of years and that kind of thing. The woman who facilitated the session, like gave us all a card or whatever to do like a free 15 or 20 minute, like one-on-one thing with her after. So I did that. And now I know like she's very intuitive. And so I really didn't tell her a lot. And she was like, you know, I feel like you spend a lot of time in masculine energy and I just really feel this desire in you to let go of control, but you're so scared and you don't know how. And I just burst into tears because I didn't have that language, but it was like, I felt so seen and she really got to the heart of, of what was true. And so I hired her under this guise of manifestation. And so part of the reason I love doing money work, and and it's something that I talk about a lot in my work with clients is that I think money really is this like fantastic carrot for us. Like, you know, if, if you told someone like, you're going to go through like the depths of like dredging up trauma and childhood healing and all of this kind of stuff. But on the other side of it, you'll feel more joyful. Most people would be like, I mean, I'm okay. I'm actually pretty good. But if you're like, you're going to go through all this trauma and dredge up all this childhood stuff. And on the other side of it, you are going to make so much money. Like you are going to unlock all of this new earning potential. People are like, bring it on, you know? And so I'm grateful for money as this carrot. And it's just so comical to me because I was like, okay, cool yeah, I'm going to hire you. Not really because I want to let go of control, even though that's the thing I most want to do in my life. I'm going to hire you because I want to make more money and I want to manifest more in my business. And it was like the best bait and switch ever, because then the first thing we did was like, she's asking me what it's like to be my father's daughter. And we're just like going through like father wounds and mother wounds. And and she's introducing me to like masculine feminine energy and how to balance it and do inner child healing. And I'm so grateful. It was like a 12 week container. And we probably did like years and years of therapy through it. And then I've deepened it in my own work ever since. But I would say that was like the thing that really was my aha moment of understanding what these two energies are and where I was totally out of balance. And so much of it was because I, and what I internalized through my dad was, and not to his fault, but just me being a kid was like, I've got to get it right. And I've got to be perfect. And like, that's, that's what I get pats on the back for. And if I'm not, I could risk my belonging in the family and I wouldn't be, you know, seen as successful. And so all of that just conditioned me to do really well in corporate America and earn the approval of bosses and climb up the charts and win the awards and do all of the things, but it wasn't fulfilling to me. And I didn't even know what I wanted because I was too busy going after what everyone else wanted for me. Oh my God. There are so many golden nuggets in this, Emily. Thank you for sharing this. Yeah. So let's go bit by bit. 
how do you let go of that control? Even though that's not what you wanted to work on. Yeah. Yeah. What tips can you leave? Because there's so many of us, myself included in that, you know, like this fear of uncertainty or that if we can control all things, and I know there's so many moms out there and not moms, you know, men, women that we hold on to that control because we think it gives us security. Yeah. Talk to us. How do we let go of that control? How do we start separating a little bit from that? Yeah. Well, you said something interesting, which is we hold on to control because we want security. Well, what I would say is most people are holding on to control and they have no idea why. So even what you said, which is even saying, why do I want control and getting to the point where you're like, oh, because it makes me feel secure or, oh, because I'm afraid of getting it wrong. Okay, well, what would getting it wrong mean? And you take it down to what's actually at the core of it. It's probably either safety or belonging or like worthiness. Like, am I lovable? If we Mm -hmm. get all the way right down to it, could I be loved even if I made mistakes or even if I wasn't doing this thing? And so there aren't that many like core needs and core fears for us as humans. But when we realize that like, oh, actually we still have this kid inside of us. That's just like, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Am I okay? Am I safe? Am I all right? Do you still love me? Do I still belong? And it's like the medicine to that is not control. And it's not being perfect and it's not being right. So like we try to do those things, but we have to like keep it going and it never feels like enough. Like whenever you're seeking someone else's approval, it's like my boss could never say enough things to me that I was like, okay, cool. I'm good now forever. Like, I just know that I'm good. It was like a constant seeking, right? So when we actually get to the heart of it and realize like, oh, I need to decide I'm good enough. I need to decide that I'm safe and do some work on like self-sourcing that. That's when everything changes because now we're not perpetuating those same behaviors because we're giving it to ourselves in a different and more sustainable way. Oh, it's beautiful. I could go so much in depth because so much of our work overlaps and I would love to hear some of these practices. It's just wonderful how eloquent you were of explaining it. Mm. How do you get over this part of getting it right or being the perfect? Because I think many women suffer from this. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, Healing your inner child is such a wild journey. And I think like doing the inner work in general, you know, the way you'll know that the inner work is working is one day you will notice yourself doing something or reacting in a certain way and be like, holy shit, who am I? And it's so different than when we try to change the behavior. Because when we try to change the behavior, it's like, I really want to take control right now. And I really want to do this thing, but I'm going to choose to hold back. And we feel the restraint when we actually go to the root cause and heal from the inside out. We have this like almost out of body experience of like noticing ourselves and being like, 
this is so weird because I am so chill right now in this situation that normally would have made me absolutely crazy. And there, and there was no choice involved. It wasn't like you were going to go in and grip control and then you chose not to. It's just that you actually changed as a person. And so for me, that like perfectionism and needing to get it right, it actually wasn't just for me, but I was really extending that to my family, namely my spouse and to some degree, my daughter, who was like a toddler at the time. And so it was like my tolerance for her, like accidentally, like spilling her cup of water all over the table was not good. My natural reaction wasn't just like, oh, it's no worries. It's a mess and we'll clean it up. And like, you're a toddler and you do these things. It was like, ah, Faye, why did you, and then having to like reel it back in. And so what I just started noticing for myself when I was healing my inner child and the part of me that was wanting to like, please my dad was that all of a sudden, like my husband could miss a turn and I didn't even feel at all the urge to like tell him he screwed up and my daughter could spill a glass of water. And it was like no big freaking deal. And I didn't have to choose to hold myself back. It was like, just my natural reaction was, well, no big deal. Can you grab some paper towel? Let's clean it up. And I love the, both of these two stories I can relate to a hundred percent, you know, and it's, I remember clearly when my daughter was a toddler too, she did break a plate, something happened or glass that she dropped it. And my immediate reaction was my dad, you know, it was, and again, they did the best they could with the knowledge and the tools that they had at the time. But the initial reaction was like, what you were saying, you know, jump in, what are you doing? And then I think she got so startled. That's when she started crying. And I saw my own inner child at that age. So I love that you're sharing that story because that was the last time. I'm not saying that I don't get triggered with certain things, but I catch myself right away. And it's like, it isn't that big of a deal. Like you're saying, you know, or then sometimes we slip backwards. I'm sure that happens to you. You know, it's like a step forward and two steps backwards and then three steps forward. But I'm so grateful that you shared those examples because it sounds like it's not so much in the doing, you know, and it's more of just like this internal change in your being. Yeah. Because like when we tend to our own inner child and like, reparent her and really tell her for like the first time in a way that lands that like, it's okay to be human and it's okay to make mistakes. And like, I'm still going to love you and I still have your back and I still choose you. And in fact, I give you permission to screw up. That's really okay. Well, then we can start to extend that same grace to other people, but how can we how can we do that when we're being so hard on ourselves and expecting perfection from ourselves? Yeah, that's so powerful. How do you reparent your inner child? What are some tools or techniques that you've used to reparent your inner kiddo? Yeah. So, you know, in the early days, it was like, 
writing out some new beliefs and kind of affirmations and listening to those and really like bringing them into my conscious awareness and like into the subconscious, you know, I'd like listen to an audio track of me saying when I was going to sleep and that kind of thing. And then doing some breath work, like some diaphragmatic breathing and like really visualizing myself as a kiddo and like just giving her an energetic hug and letting out all of the feelings. You know, I did a ton of crying. (laughs) It was like all of the feelings that I didn't feel safe to express as a kiddo, just like letting them out and then saying what I would have wanted to hear, you know, and just like reparenting myself. And now, and this wasn't like a super long drawn out, like years process. We're talking like weeks, months, a few months. Now it really is more in my way of being. So it's not that it never comes up that I'm consciously like, oh, I need to tend to my inner child, but so much of it is now my way of being where, for example, I post something scary on social media and someone that I actually really do love and care about posts a comment, respectfully disagreeing that can feel very triggering to my nervous system. It's not a troll. It's not someone telling me that I need to like go off myself or whatever, but just even just disagreeing. And so when I notice that I'm triggered, it's like pause. Like the last thing I want to do is take any action from a triggered place. So I really give myself space to process. And then it's like, when I check in with myself, okay, what about this feels really triggering? And it's that fear of not belonging, right? This is someone I love and care about. And what if she withholds her love from me? And what if I don't belong with her anymore because we disagree on this thing? And so then it's like, okay, well, what's the medicine for being afraid that I'm not belonging and that I'm not going to be loved? Giving myself love and belonging, not hoping someone else is going to give it to me, but like just reminding my inner child, like I've got you. I choose you. I love you so much. I'm not going anywhere. And it's safe to be controversial. It's safe to have people disagree with us. That's really okay. Like we can handle that. And just staying in that space as long as I need to. And usually then it's like a day maybe. And I feel like so much more neutral and then I can take action. Like I'm not going to respond to that comment until I'm back in a place of neutrality. Beautifully said. I love how you carried us through how you could have been triggered with it and how to solve it, which takes me to the next question you mentioned before the self-sourcing, that feeling of feeling enough and which goes hand in hand with this. How else do you nurture that inner, you know, self-sourcing and validation versus like you said earlier that your boss could have told you, you know, a gazillion things it wouldn't have mattered because you needed to give yourself that validation. What yeah. kind of, how do you do that for yourself, Emily? Yeah. So, you know, like positive self-talk. And again, like if you're listening to this and you're like, that feels like a bridge way too far, 
<laughs> even just neutral, like even getting back to neutrality is, is like a huge shift. If you're used to negative self-talk and like over time it will shift, but like mirror work, you know, like when I'm doing my makeup or I'm brushing my teeth, like I will try to consciously look in my own eyes and just like say something kind, like you are such a magnet for miracles. Like we're going to have such a good day together. Like you are so worthy, just like something simple. And then I do like the self-care basics too. You know, like I think if we're jam packing our schedule, if we're so addicted to doing and like martyrdom, especially for women. And so like, we're putting ourselves last because we've got to take care of the kids and the laundry and the, this and that like that doesn't serve anyone. And I really believe that in my core. And so I practice that and my kids would not bat an eye if I was like, you know what? Like I'm actually feeling really tired or I'm feeling a little cranky and right now. And so I'm going to go rest and I'm going to go take some space in my room and I'm going to lock the door and I'm going to be unavailable. Like they would just, they're like, okay, mom, they, that's not weird to them. Because I just don't expect that anyone else is going to do this for me. You know, like if I'm tired, I need to give myself rest. If I'm grumpy, I need to give myself some TLC and some space away. It's so great that you're saying that. And especially for any mom that's out there, because I think it gets more, even more exaggerated when you're not a mom and you're just a woman moving through life we tend to go around with that martyr or that victimhood archetype or martyr. But as a mom, I think even more, we put ourselves last. And so I love that you are so self-aware that you're putting these things into place and being an example for the next generation, for your kids, because that's how we start shifting things. When we start doing the work for ourselves, instead of just expecting our kids to change and be the things when we're not even doing it for ourselves. So I love, love, love um, that you practice that and that you can honor it and be an example to your children. And hopefully everyone that's listening to this can take that with them. What are some of your practices that you do for yourself on a daily basis? Like if, so like if, if that maintenance, Mm. I know you meditate a lot and I'm a big meditator and journal or, you know, and I can't emphasize how amazing meditating can be for everyone, you know, if just quieting the mind, but I'd love to hear, I always like hearing other people's practices to see like, Ooh, maybe I could try that or what goodies you have. Yeah. What goodies do you have Emily for us? I mean, I'm such a fan of the basics to be honest. Like I eat good food every day and I like practice intuitive eating. So like I check in with my body and like give her what sounds good, you know? sunshine, you know, we've had a really wet, cloudy winter here in Southern California, but, you know, like just trying to get outside and be in nature. I try to limit my time on my device. Like that still is something that is a work in progress. You know, I think it's, we're online entrepreneurs. And so our business like walks around with us in our pocket and it's, it can be so addicting, but it, really is such like a self-care gift to myself when I have some boundaries around that. So like 
I try to read paperback books so that like, there's something that's like not on a device or a screen where it's just like relaxing time, drinking enough water. I move my body every day. So I go to Pilates probably five times a week. My husband and I go for walks. So I don't think you can skip the basics and then just like slap some meditation on it, you know, Mm. or like, I, yes, I love journaling. I love pulling cards. I love crystals. Like there are so many like woo woo practices that I think are so beneficial, but I don't think they replace like the basics of like taking care of our human, like getting enough sleep every night, you know, like take care of the body and then layer on the things that help us like get more connected to our intuition and our higher self. Uh, I love this. Yes. It's so important and for all of us listening, just, you know, what are we incorporating? What could we do a little bit better to nurture ourselves? And I love the way that you're saying, you know, like just layer, take care of the body first, you know, and then layer on the spiritual, the connecting with the intuition, the mental, you know, we can add on for that. So let's pivot a little bit going to your businesses. So you had two businesses when your kids, which by the way, how old are your kids now? They just had birthdays, my little Pisces babies. So they're eight (laughs) and five now. That's awesome. So this, I ask you because we're hearing Emily talk about all these different practices and for a busy mom with young ones, because they're still little and they need care and running a business and that she's carving out time for these things. Because that's one of the main things I hear clients and other colleagues, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to, you know, do self practices or whatever. Yeah. And so I love that you're sharing this and, and, and just being an example again, if someone did, if there is someone with a busy life, it's you and you're still carving out time for the basics and yeah. then layering on. So let's talk about the businesses. We had two businesses, you said, when the kids were born and when everything transitioned. Talk to us a little bit about how those businesses went and how you transitioned into the work that you do now. Like, what was that journey all about? Take us through that. Yes. So we just had the e-commerce business for just about eight years. We just wound it down last year. And I think it did over 3 million in lifetime sales. And then the agency we still have that does about 1.2 million a year. So we've had back-to-back seven figure years with the agency. And then essentially uh, long story short, basically two years ago, I was like very called by spirit to like step away from the agency. So the agency was taking up almost all of our time. The e-commerce business was on autopilot. I was the CEO. We had team clients, you know, like I was very involved in a lot and I got the message loud and clear, like step away. Like you need to take six weeks away. And I did thinking that then I would come back with all these like amazing ideas and whatever. And really what happened was that during that time away, it was so clear to me that I was meant to be coaching and So the ideas that, that came through during this kind of void were really around, you know, new systems and structures to put in place for the agency so that I could be less involved. 
And so we sort of reimagined my role there. And I very bravely and like, you know, just one little foot in front of the other started my coaching business. And I felt that it was meant to be around money. And I had all kinds of imposter syndrome around that. Like even running a seven figure business, like it's just, you know, whatever, we all have our stuff. And I felt like, who am I? How am I qualified? Like money is like the one thing that I still feel like I'm kind of chasing a bit and haven't fully mastered and yada, yada. But of course, like, you know, the best teachers are the ones that like study their own materials. And so I just started talking about it. And that was how my own podcast was born was just getting brave enough to start having conversations around money. Cause I really felt that this lack of transparency and this taboo around this very important topic was not serving any of us. You know, it's like people are more willing to tell you that they're like struggling with food and that they're on a diet than they are to say that, like, I'm really struggling with money and I'm just feeling like there isn't enough. And I feel like I'm always broke. Like, you know, no one talks about that stuff around the dinner table. And so I just started being brave enough to talk about my own story with money and what's working well for me and what feels scary and inviting other women to talk about that. And, you know, over time that's developed into a methodology. I have a signature program called money wound medicine, and it's just been like such a beautiful gift. I think I've worked with over 300 women now and yeah, and built a multi six figure coaching business. And it's just felt like such a gift. And it's the first time in my life that I feel so on mission where it's like, I really get to do the thing for a living. That is the thing I would want to do anyway. Like I would do it for free, you know? that lights you up. And it's so important because I've been, we have such similar paths, parallel paths in that way. You know, like as I was growing my own business, I got very curious about my relationship with money. And so I think this is very important. Like you said, it's such a taboo subject. We don't talk about it enough. And statistics say that women, first, women are better investors than men. Second, that 90, the UN says that 95% of women will reinvest their hard-earned money back into the kids' education, into health, into the community versus only 35% of men. Mm. Women are bigger givers. We're bigger philanthropists than men. So why are we not having these conversations? And we love talking, but why not talk about money and things that are moving the world because money, whether you like it or not, touches everything. So why not have that conversation versus gossiping or whatever the latest actor or actress is doing or wearing, you know, it's like, why? So I'm fascinated with this, Emily. And I love that you went down that avenue. Tell me a little bit about imposter syndrome. We're talking about, I just see this is such a recurring subject for women. There's another statistic where if men were applying to a job, now if women are applying to a job and they're 95% qualified, they will still not apply to the job because they don't feel perfect or they don't feel like they've mastered it. You know, that's why I'm asking you about imposter syndrome. But if a man were to apply for a job and he's only like 55% qualified, he'll still apply 
because they have this sense of more confidence, like, no, I'll figure it out or whatever. Right. Talk to us about that. Like, how did you overcome that imposter syndrome? How did you get over the, oh, but I'm not qualified with two businesses that are in the seven figures, you know, like you've done right. sales, like <laughs> anyone that's listening from the outside is like, why did she feel that way? I want to learn from Emily, you know, like I haven't even achieved those milestones. Like how does yeah. that go? What's going through your mind when you're going through imposter syndrome or when you're wanting to start something new? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I think you really highlight the importance of the gender differences here and just understanding that like the patriarchy has really benefited from us not feeling worthy, right? And from us feeling like, oh no, you've got to get better and you've got to keep improving. And like, you know, you, you're only worthy of this pay instead of this pay. Like, so we can let ourselves off the hook a bit in the sense that like, it's not necessarily that like we're broken as much as like we've been raised in a broken system. And yet, right? We get to like take back our power in that. For me, it was 100% my faith in my higher self and like something bigger than me. So it wasn't that I just like decided like, no, I am going to be a great money coach. Like I know it. it was like, okay, God, like if you're leading me in this direction, like I will follow and like, I will do it and I'll do it scared and I'll figure it out and just like, trust that there's a bigger plan. You know, it was like, I already was running a seven figure business. It wasn't like I was trying to like drum up this like brand new business model. So it was very intuitively guided. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't really scary, but I really just believed that like my role in this was not to initiate. My role was to be receptive and receive the instructions and then just like take the aligned action. And so I was willing to do that much. And I didn't come out the gates pretending like I had it all figured out. If you scroll back and go back to like my Facebook from two years ago, you will see me showing up and being like, I wrote posts where I'm like, I'm afraid to talk to you about money because I'm afraid that you'll judge me. I'm afraid that you'll think that I'm greedy. I'm afraid that you'll think that that's all I care about. I'm afraid to tell you I made $100,000 in my business last month because some of you will think that that's peanuts. And some of you will think that I'm so rich that I'm afraid you'll come asking me for money and I won't have it to give you. Like, I just put it all out there and I just like let that be enough. And over time, then I really did build confidence. Like it resonated with people. And I started feeling like, oh, okay, I am really good at this. And this is what people need to hear. And these are the conversations that women want to have. And so it just was little by little by little, you know? I love it. And I love that your vulnerability with it and your honesty of starting those posts with that, because that's how... I'm sure that's what led to the success of us being able to be vulnerable and show that side of us that we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. I'm still 
moving through this. That is amazing that you did that, Emily. What about you're talking that you are guided from something higher than yourself and listening to your intuition and taking aligned action? How do you connect with your intuition? How do you take aligned action versus what you think your mind or what your mind thinks or your logic thinks is the better way, you know, like here I have a seven figure business. Like, should I really be going down this path? You know, like I don't know money. I don't have it all together. There's the imposter syndrome. So we'll break it down into two questions. How do you connect with your intuition and how do you take aligned action from that place of intuition versus from that place of rationale and logic and wanting to control? Mm. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on I this, but, but for the sake of time. So the way that I look at masculine and feminine energy is actually like wounded masculine and divine masculine and wounded feminine and divine feminine. And so this is an oversimplification, but I like to look at it as a sequence and I try to stay in the divine feminine and the divine masculine. So when you're talking about overthinking and like the rationale and the logicking, that's the wounded masculine. So I don't want to be there. Right. And I can notice when I'm getting into that place, but so I like to start in the divine feminine, which is just a state of receptivity. So that might be through meditation. A lot of great ideas come in the shower as they do for everybody or going out for a walk, but just like getting quiet enough that and tuning in, like really getting to know your body and doing trauma work and clearing out all of the stuck energy so that you are a little more fine-tuned and you can feel and hear and listen a little better. So I like to just start in that like receptive listening mode. And then when something comes through, then it's shifting to the divine masculine and taking aligned action. And then this is where we get stuck sometimes as women who used to do too much. Like we then get stuck in the doing and we flip to the wounded masculine where now we're just doing to do and we're leaning forward and we're hustling and we're trying to push it forward more. But I'd like to take the aligned action and then flip back into the divine feminine of like trust and surrender. Like, okay, I just did my part. Over to you, God. (laughs) The next step or the outcome of it, I don't control it. So instead of trying to control it, through the wounded masculine energy, I'm just going to go back into like receptivity mode and trust and surrender again. I love it. I love the description of that and just catching yourself before you're going to self-sabotage of going into the, I love how you explained going from the wounded to the divine. That's beautifully explained. Have you caught yourself self-sabotaging as you're going from, you know, like you're taking, you're priming yourself for the intuition and for things to come in and quieting your mind and be receptive. Then you move on to taking aligned action. You're moving into divine masculine. And have you caught yourself or does it happen to you? Or are you at a place where you've mastered it enough that you can come then back into the divine feminine and just trust and be okay with it? Or have you gone back into old ways of being? with the wanting to control or overwork, Mm. you know, with that. Could you give us an example if you've fallen into that? It doesn't usually happen anymore, to be honest. But if I'm noticing that like my balance is off and that I'm working too much, there's almost always some way that it's self-serving. 
So it's when I look at it and I'm like, okay, why am I doing this? It's often to like mask something else. So it's like, it's just a hiding behind work. So if I'm staying busy with this, then I won't do this other thing that I really want to be doing, but I'm like so scared that it might not work out. Or if I just stay busy with this over here, then I don't have to think about this other thing. So in the cases where the work feels like off balance, there's almost always, it's because I'm in avoidance and I'm avoiding something else by just feeling like I'm staying busy with these other things that actually aren't the thing. And then do you notice that it's the avoidance? Do you go back into it and try and peel that onion? Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. Then it's the inner work of like, okay, like (laughs) how long are we going to play that game? You know, like, so yeah, of course. I mean, look, we get to choose, like, this is kind of choose your own adventure in this human form. So we can be in avoidance as long as we want to be, but I usually don't stay there very long before I'm like, okay, let's actually dive into the real thing. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. This has been wonderful, Emily. I so appreciate your time and your wisdom and just how well you've explained all these different terms because I can't emphasize it enough. It's so important to hear it over and over, you know, the repetition. So it ingrains within us, but hearing it from a different perspective. And Mm -hmm. I just loved how you brought that wisdom to our community. So as we're wrapping up, I like asking the question of what's one thing listeners can do to live a life with more courage? Ooh, what a great question. So I really look at that question as an invitation to really drop into your body and see how you feel. And it sounds basic, but very few humans actually know how they're feeling. And when you can start to get honest with that and start connecting to your own intuition and how things actually feel in your body, to me, that's like a foundational piece to courage. Wonderful. That's great. It's so important to feel in. I agree. That's the first question I ask myself every morning when I get out of bed, even before getting out of bed, I might be lying there. And I just like, how are you feeling today? Like, where am I mentally? How's my body feeling? Am I feeling tired? Am I feeling energized? Am I ready for the day? Is something bothering me? It's so important to tune into our feeling. Thank you so much, Emily. You are just a magical box full of wisdom. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful that you joined me today. If you enjoyed it, there's one thing I'd like you to do. Click on the follow button so you don't miss a single episode. Leave me a rating and a review and please share. As my way to thank you, Email us a screen grab of your review at the email in the show notes, and we will send you a free Crafting Your Future guided visualization, which is so simple to do with outstanding results. It will empower you and give you the confidence to attract and create the life you've always desired. See you in our next episode.